and welcome. It is your money. I'm Susie Jones, and I am so happy to have you with us today as we talk about your money. As we near Halloween, we're going to talk about some scary money stories. And as always, we have Bruce Helmer, the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor. We also have rock star senior vice president and financial advisor, Peg Webb. Welcome to both of you. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Susie. Hi. Hello, Susie Jones, and I love that introduction for Peg. She absolutely <laughs> is a rock star. We <laughs> use that all the time. Yes, right. And uh, yeah, Peg, we're gonna t- we're gonna talk about some scary money stories. Um, quick programming note: some people might be thinking you're a little bit early. Halloween is still over a week away, but next week we're gonna have. Rhonda Whitenack from the Social Security Administration on with us. Those of you that are frequent listeners to the show have heard uh, Rhonda on with us before. She's an awesome guest. She knows everything that we need to know about Social Security, and she explains it in an easy, digestible way that everybody can understand. And it's the time of year where Social Security has made their decisions about what's going to happen next year. So Rhonda will inform us all what we need to know about our Social Security benefits next year and uh, next week is when Rhonda uh, could be on the show so we're doing our scary stories our kind of Halloween show today and uh, Peg um, there's a lot of different possible scary stories um, where do you want to go first in terms of uh, things that frighten people about their money yeah I went Bruce good morning um, when I looked at the outline I went oh this is kind of scary. Like, I mean, it's easy to pull out the negatives. And um, I, and that's okay. I think, you know, in our conversations, in our reviews with clients, we always talk about the negatives, but then, you know, obviously talk about the positives too. So today we're going to go back a little bit, Bruce, in time and scary things that have we have witnessed and kind of lived through already. And then there's some futuristic scary things on our list here too. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Bruce and I don't write the outlines. Um, we uh, we uh, comment on them once they're uh, written. And I like that. But we kept everything in that the, the um, writer had put in this outline. And by the time I read it, Bruce, I was actually like a little bit afraid. I went, okay, you know what we need to do? (laughs) What we need to do, and then we did it, and this is where we, you and I added in, is under every scary topic, we came up with what would Peg and Bruce do? Like what are some things that we're coaching our clients on now, even though we know that that was a scary time or scary story or the unknown is always scary? So I feel like our jobs have forever been, you know, coaching clients on the current, you know, if there's a scary time and then already looking into the future. And that's what we have to do to, you know, position the portfolio to where we anticipate we're heading before it actually happens. So um, so the first one, Bruce, is uh, the global crisis of 2007, 2008. You actually talk about this a lot. So um, can you just kind of describe what was so scary about that particular time? Yeah, this and, and when we when uh, when the marketing team came up with this idea, 
Um, this was the first thing that I thought of. I, I suspect it was for you also, because even as time goes on and memories fade a little bit, I think everyone remembers 2008. I, I think all of our listeners do. Um, I'm going to ask Susie uh, to chime in even here in a second. But So in October of 2007, the U.S. stock market, as measured on the Dow, was trading at a little over 14,000. By March of 2009, 18 months later, a year and a half, it was trading at 6,500 and some change. It was down over 60%. And many of our listeners, I'm sure, remember looking at their 401k statements, their investment statements, seeing their, their values plummet. Everybody remembers too big to fail, the, the subprime mortgage collapse, uh, big companies like uh, Lehman Brothers uh, collapsing, AIG getting a government bailout, the auto industry getting a government bailout. Uh, and I'm, even as I talk about these things, I'm probably putting people back into a, a negative frame of mind because they've, they've, they've tried to push it out of their mind. But I think almost all, all investors that are old enough you know, to, to remember that 2008 time period we're frightened. We're afraid, including our clients, Peg. I, I had a lot of review meetings in 2008 with nervous clients. So, Susie, I wanted to ask you, because I think oftentimes you are reflective of our listeners. You must remember that. And do you remember how you felt? And did you change anything? Like, did you get your money out of the stock market? Did you stop adding your 401k? Were you nervous? Do you, do you remember how you felt and how you responded to that? <laughs> I remember, of course, as everyone did, being nervous and watching that huge drop. I will say very, very early in my career, I started putting money away, investing. And I had a financial advisor at the time say that Rome was not built in a day and that you shouldn't make quick decisions when it comes to the market. And I've always just sort of trusted the financial advisor to tell me what to do. And so I didn't do anything. I kept it all right there. That that was the right thing Good to do. Peg, yeah. uh, Peg, you, you want to jump in? Yeah, you know, it was really scary. I mean, unemployment was up to um, up to 10%. And as we look at it today, we're kind of like 10%. That's a huge number. And I, I don't think we mentioned it yet, but about 3.8 million Americans lost their homes, you know, through foreclosure. And so there was a real anxious feeling at, at that time. And I often have, uh, I often have mentioned on this show before it was so scary that this will be one point in my career where I literally called another financial advisor at Wealth Enhancement Group and I said, you, you need to talk to me right now. You know, you need to, because um, personally, and it wasn't a very long time, Bruce, but it was, it was there where I needed to sit down with someone that I truly trusted, like their opinion, and it was another financial advisor in Wealth Enhancement Group. And they convinced me, okay, Peg, they needed to talk to me. So you see that to me, that was like so dramatic. But the good news is the markets did recover. And the Fed, the Treasury, the White House, the Congress, they all, you know, worked together and ultimately kind of successfully shored up Wall Street. And they came out with this $1.5 trillion TARP thing. Now, I, I kind of forgot about this. Uh, but it was called the Trouble Asset Relief Program Package. 
So they made huge purchases of toxic assets. You know, they had gave lifelines to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Um, more importantly, they got the economy moving again. And, you know, the um, the banks, we, we had confidence in them, so et cetera. But so what did we learn from this, though? What would be our to-dos um, given that really scary scenario? And we we constantly remind ourselves that we have to review our buckets. Are we actually in the right short-term investments, the long-term investments? Do you even have any uh, safe money that if we go through an economic time again, hopefully you do. So number one, review your bucket. Number two, remind yourself, and I have to do this personally to myself, control, you know, only what you can control. So, you know, telling people to, to mentally um, stop spiraling, that's hard to do. But just remember, you can control what you can control. So you can review your buckets. Um, and then I always tell people, if the market's down, that's the time to put a few dollars in. Those are the people that get rewarded, Bruce. So, um, so that was my kind of action takeaways from the scary story, Bruce. And, and to, uh, to emphasize your, your point, and I, I love that you threw in the to-dos because that's what listeners want for us just to list scary things and not tell them how to deal with it. That would be counterproductive. So I love that, that you added the to-dos. And let's look at history and look at what happened. So, again, I had nervous clients in 2008, but in the review meetings I would say, look, your account balances are way down but it's virtually all your long money. And you told me you didn't need that money for a long period of time. That's why we invested it how we did. We also have cash or short-term money that you can use for income right now so that you don't need to sell stocks at an inopportune time. So who got hurt in 2008, Peg? It was people that panicked, that were fearful, that said, I gotta get out of the market. They were afraid, even though they might have intellectually understood to buy low and sell high. They sold low because they were afraid. They made an emotional decision. Or like you said, a lot of people maybe didn't have short money. So they had to sell stocks. They're retired, but they still need gas and groceries. They needed income, so they had to sell stocks. Well, our clients at Wealth Enhancement, we didn't have to do that. So now look at where the market is today. I mentioned the Dow went from 14,000 to 6,500. Today, the Dow's at you know, 33 or 34,000, it's 20,000 points higher than where it was before the crash of 2008. So if you stayed in the market, like you suggested, Peg and Susie, or Peg, like you suggested, you actually added, if you were putting money into your 401k in 2008 when the market was low, you probably are in a very, very, very strong position today as compared to what you were in then. So your, your to-do peg, we can actually test that one in hindsight, and it worked. It, it, it would have worked. So um, as long as people didn't panic in 2008, they didn't get hurt by that short-term market retraction. And we know from history, and this is going to be an overriding theme on all the scary things we talk about today, every time there's ever been a market retraction, there's always been a recovery where the market goes higher than where it was before the retraction. Now, again, that doesn't guarantee future results, 
but that's a long history that we can look at to give us confidence that uh, going forward, markets will probably recover. One other quick thing I wanted to mention, and I think you were in the same meeting. Peg, you mentioned TARP, and there was a lot of criticism by a lot of people of the government supposedly bailing out these companies. Some people called it corporate welfare. And both President Bush and President Obama, after he was elected, did similar things in terms of um, the government bailing out uh, companies. And I was in a meeting at a conference, and you might have been in the same meeting, where we had the opportunity to, to be up close and personal with President Bush. And he got the question you know, about corporate welfare. And I'm not quoting him verbatim, it's close, I'm paraphrasing. He said, look, I abhor corporate welfare, but this was an easy decision for me. When every economic advisor I have tells me, Mr. President, you have to do this or the economy's gonna crash and burn, that's an easy decision to make when everybody was in agreement that we had to do this. Even though philosophically it maybe didn't sit well with me, my, my economic advisors told me this was the right thing to do. So um, were you at that meeting? Did you at that, was at that conference? Oh, yes. And I have my picture with the president um, that particular day. So I, it's a, I mean, it's a, just a, it's kind of fun to be standing right next to the president of the United States. Um, yeah. So the, the other thing that came out of then the 2008-2009 was kind of the collapse of interest rates, right? We, we didn't have, because they did the TARP thing and they did lots of things to get the economy moving again, interest rates in 2005, 2006, we had 5% money market. So the next scary thing is, and I don't know if it's so scary, it's more of an understanding of now we have higher interest rates and not a, a small amount. I mean, it went from basically 0% treasuries to north of 5% now in a very short period of time. And what does that really mean to people? Well, it means that, um, you know, returns on your existing bonds as they mark them to market on paper uh, are way down. So you look at your bond portfolio and you say, hey, everybody told me that I should be in the 60% stock, 40% um, bond kind of portfolio. And you actually had Tim Insko from um, our Iowa office on, one of our investment people, a couple of weeks ago. And just talked about, you know, how it can just turn sharply like in early 2022 when the stock market started to fall, interest rates started to go up. But from the time from the global crisis until now, the Fed really kind of manipulated interest rates. And the way they did that was they went and bought their own treasuries on the market. So if you have a high volume where people are buying, buying, buying treasuries, that's going to keep the interest rates low. So that was one of the tools in their toolbox that they used. Now we're kind of paying for it in that interest rates went up. I don't see it super scary in that um, rising interest rates, clients feel very good now that on their safe money, they can at least earn something. The scary part about the fact that interest rates went up is because inflation was a present. And if inflation is present, that means that the higher dividend that we're getting on our bonds, we probably have to use at the grocery store or to pay our um, heating bill, you know, this winter, that kind of thing. And so um, one of the things that I tell people, Bruce, that they should do right now is take advantage of these higher rates. 
I often say on this show, people are still sitting in these banks and they're paying nothing because they just don't want to do something. But it's so valuable to go lock in or at least get a rate that's, um, you know, north of 5% today. When I say lock in, and this is a to-do, I would revisit your bonds. I would revisit, you know, what's the length of time on your bonds. And, you know, if you do have some money or you need to rebalance right now, you should be going and buying not a three-month treasury. You should be going and buying a longer bond that you would lock in because we will get through this too. We're going to get through this time. You know, I don't know how long it's going to take, but interest rates will come down eventually. And you want to protect yourself with some of these higher interest rates. Bruce? Yeah, and, and inflation is scary. And Peg, you said something a little bit earlier that I wanted again to reemphasize, and that is don't worry about things that you can't control because you can't control them. I, I feel like so many people worry about inflation and interest rates or what the Fed's going to do or where the stock market's going to go. And we can't control any of those things, but we can control our asset allocation, our diversification, our spending, our consistency of putting money away into our retirement plans or other investments. So if we focus on those good things that we can do and don't worry about the things that we can't control, um, we're probably going to be on a path to success. But so often that worrying about, about something that we can't control anyway, we shoot our toes off or, or to torpedo our own boat. And, you know, oftentimes that's our job as a financial advisor is to protect people from themselves. Peg, we got a, about three, three and a half minutes left. Uh, what else scares you and other people uh, about money? Well, I think we brought up on the show a couple times already um, the war, the global wars that are out there. And, 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 it's, and it's scary. I mean, I, I just personally think at this day and age, seriously, we have to have these worldwide wars. And the reason we bring that up as being scary is, you know, obviously we're informed about it. And how is that going to affect the markets? You know, is there ways that you can maybe be more defensive. I already brought up treasuries because I believe that's a good defensive move. Um, also defensive stocks, dividend paying stocks have always kind of made it through, if you will. I always use the example of Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is just something that um, a, a particular stock that people, it tends to not um, go really high, you know, when growth stocks are going high, but it doesn't necessarily go really low. That's just an example of how these defensive stocks um, might work. So uh, once again, if you have dividend paying stocks at that time or stable things in your portfolio, then um, you'll make it through grander than somebody who said, I'm going to stick with growth the whole time. So once again, Bruce, it's more so revisiting your allocation and maybe taking a little bit deeper dive if you're not actively managed by a company like we are take a deeper dive into what do you own and, um, and, and, and feel good about doing your homework, Bruce. Yeah. And, you know, really peg a lot of these things, these scary things that we're talking about and listeners and Susie, you know, we'll, we'll wrap up this discussion in the second half of the show and then we'll also get you involved listeners. But a lot of these things, peg, 
are events. You know, the war in Ukraine, uh, the the attack in Israel a couple weeks ago, or if North Korea or Iran or sable uh, rattling, all these things tend to shudder and impact the markets in the short term. And again, if you look at history, there's always been events like this, wars, uh, assassination attempts, uh, political instability, whatever. And, and sometimes it does have a negative short-term impact on markets, but long-term markets always have recovered. And again, I, I, I don't think we mentioned this enough. We talk about these numbers. We talk about the market, the Dow's at X, the S&P's at Y. But again, let's not forget what we're actually investing in. We're investing in par- partial ownership of companies. And if we're choosing smart, innovative, well-run companies, there can be short-term things that cause the value to go down. But if the leadership is strong, if the business model is strong long-term, these companies will grow in value and they will reward investors. Historically, that's been the trend. I think that'll be the trend going forward. So I know we're about due for a break, Susie. We'll, uh, we'll talk about future things to be afraid of, and we'll tie a bow on the topic, and we'll get listeners involved in the second half. That sounds great. If you are listening and you want to jump in, now's your chance. 651-461-9226. I'll say it again. 651-461-9226. We're back with your questions on your money. And welcome back. It is Your Money. I'm Susie Jones. Once again, if you have a question, this is your opportunity to jump in. 651-461-9226. We're talking about scary money stories as we near Halloween. Bruce Helmer, the founder of Wealth Enhancement and a financial advisor, is with us. Also, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb. Welcome back to both of you. Before we get to calls, do you want to or questions? Do you want to jump back in and kind of recap where we're going with scary stories? Thank you, Sue. Yeah, a couple things. Again, listeners, if you joined us late, some of the scary stories we talked about in the first half of the show were the Great Recession or the economic collapse of 2008. We talked about inflation and rising interest rates. Uh, we talked about just events, wars, and things that happen in the world that that scare us and can uh, have a negative impact on our 401k and our investments in the short term. And, you know, Peg, one of the things I didn't say in the first half that I, I shouldn't say now, a lot of times when these scary events happen, there's always people that say, but this time it's different. You know, because I'll say, look, we've had bad things before and the markets are very resilient and they recover. And I, and I sometimes hear, yeah, but this time it's different. Believe me when I tell you, I've been doing this for 40 years. I've been hearing that for 40 years when there's a scary event. This time it's different, and it's not. Markets are resilient. Markets have always recovered, and I believe that they always will if we're investing in smart, innovative, well-run companies. We're making good investments. We also talked about, you know, you get worried or you get nervous, you get scared, but try not to worry about things that you have no control over anyway and focus on the things that you can control. Now, Peg, what we didn't get to, and we teased this, we, we talked about we were going to go here, and yes, Susie, we do want to get listeners involved, but really quickly we want to talk about some things that haven't happened yet or are starting to happen, future things that might scare people. Peg? Yeah, so this artificial intelligence, AI, comes up in my reviews a lot because how can you avoid hearing about it on the news? 
But simply put, um, AI, you know, makes it possible for machines to learn from experience, adjust to new inputs, and perform human-like tasks. That's the part that's kind of scary uh, for the clients that I talk to. And, And it's hard to visualize what the future looks like. We already, you know, know that cars can drive themselves, and we already know that the Amazon boxes are getting to us maybe sometimes on the same day because they're artificial intelligence going around in a room and just grabbing what Peg Web ordered and getting it to her as fast as you can. But now what we're hearing is going to the next level. And what's scary about that is more so, and this is what I hear from my clients, about the criminals out there that are cooking up new ways to be able to defraud us, uh, you know, us citizens with these new technology uh, things that they're coming up with. And probably the most scariest, is, since we're talking about scary money stories, is the recognition of our voice. And um, on our radio call a couple weeks ago, they, the um, marketing team talked to us about, you know, they just could pull Peg Webb and Bruce Helmer's voices from multiple shows and put together a show that maybe would be out of context. You know, and we follow lots of rules with our business and, you know, compliance would hate that. So there's things that we're trying to get our arms around. The second scary thing is for people is that they think that the AI will replace a lot of jobs. Now, right now, we have such a low unemployment that that may not seem like a bad thing, but maybe in the future it would be a bad thing um, if more people, you know, are looking for a job. And then... You know, there's super smart people out there now that are looking at this and trying to figure out how do we protect everybody from um, AI? How do we get to enjoy it and not worry about the the bad things that could happen? So what I my to do, Bruce, and then I'll hand it back to you is just become educated about what it is, because um, I, I feel like people our age and higher, you know, are probably more concerned than the younger people. They feel like, oh, about time, you know, that we get this new technology and get other things going with that technology. But so I just encourage my clients to, to read about it, try to understand it, and that will be easier than to, to embrace the change than just not trying to understand it. Bruce? Peg, you know, this is such an important one, and we're going to be talking about this more and more, I think, for years to come. I mean, gosh, I remember, I don't remember the name of the movie, or the, but I remember movies and TV shows from decades ago where they were, they were horror movies where you had these movies where the computers take over and, you know, and kill the people or whatever. They, they, they run amok and you can't control them, and I think... For some people, that's a fear of AI, but I think you're right, Peg. The more realistic fear or rational thing to be nervous about is how can bad guys use this technology to to steal from us, to to infiltrate our accounts or uh, take our identity or whatnot. And, And like a lot of things, this new technology is a blessing and a curse at the same time, right? Because we, 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 we fear some of these things, and some of these things can certainly be perceived as negative, but yet the technology is something we all use. I mean, when we ask Siri for directions to where we're looking, that's AI. <laughs> that, there's not a person in your computer looking you know, at a map. That's, that's AI. 
So we use this technology, it's valuable, and to the idea that, you know, what if computers can do things that people can do and people lose jobs, the flip side of that is, is that if it enhances efficiencies, makes us better, makes us be able to do things better, more efficiently, more quickly, enhances values, then people maybe need to retrain and find other things that they can do to support this, this, this increasing technology. So again, it can be, it can be frightening and rewarding at the same time, but to your to-do peg, that's absolutely what we have to do is learn about it and understand it. And I'm the kettle, uh, the pot calling the kettle black because I'm as bad at technology as anybody that you're probably ever gonna talk to. And even I understand that I have to read up on this more, learn more about this, understand it more. I just have to, because that's where the world is going and I can't be left behind. Um, any last thoughts, Peg, or any other future things that we want to scare people with today before we get Let Listeners Drive show the rest of the way? Well, we did have one more thing, and we can kind of go through that quickly, but it's working from home. So this is a, a you know, kind of post-pandemic um, situation that we're in, and there's a lot of controversy around that in that the workers kind of like to work from home and, you know, argue that it's more time efficient, you know, you don't have to be on the road, you don't have to dress up to come in, yada, 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 a lot of things. But then the corporations are, you know, wishing that we could at least get them back at least a couple days a week because there's a human component, you know, to working together and training, you know, within the companies and that kind of thing. And so, it is challenging right now, um, you know, trying to see the future and then also the corporations and, and also the people who own these big buildings, you know, the investors, the, the sandwich shop at the bottom of the tower that you used to work in in downtown, you know, they, they're all suffering because uh, people are not going back to work. So I think we'll continue to see this evolve. And my opinion is that there's a happy medium here. I think there's some days that people should come in and I just don't want to lose that kind of human component or, um, well, mostly the human component. And then, you know, just really sharing information with one another, Bruce. Yeah. And you know what? And, and Peg, that is such a smart thing that you brought up. And, uh, I don't know how to quantify this. I don't have the words, but you know, the, 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 the AI or the technology or computers that can do things that people can do and is it going to replace us and so forth. There's something that I can't co quantify or define about face-to-face -face communication. There's, there's just something there that I don't know that technology can replicate, whether it's uh, the empathy or the understanding. Or if I just think about you and I and Susie, you know, there was a time that we were all in the, in the same room at the same time and, and think of the times that we would look at each other or nod at each other or point at each other that we don't have now. And, 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 and I, I like doing the show the way we're doing it. For us, it's a lot more efficient for a lot of reasons. But there was still something about an advantage of all being together in the same room at the same time that we can't replicate uh, on the phone. And, and um, again, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think it's, it's some sort of happy medium or compromise between working totally remote versus totally in the office, some sort of a hybrid situation. I think, you know, again, we can, we can take the advantages of this remote 
employment and 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 not still not hopefully lose that human element that I think is so important. Um, and especially, you know, think about us and our relationships with our clients. You know, we we live through them. We become friends. We become emotionally mm-hmm. involved with, with what's going on in their life. And and I I don't ever want to lose that. And I don't think I can do my job as well if I don't have that personal connection. Peg, I'll give you the last word. I don't know if I said anything that even made sense. <laughs> well, we're we're kind of known as oldie fogies, Bruce, because you know a lot of a lot of what I read and a lot of what I hear is the people that are our age and older, you know, or, or the people that, 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 um, if you listen to some of these chat rooms or something, it's, you know, we're older, we can't possibly change. Um, but, but I like your points in that there's, you know, a couple good things. I'm all for a happy medium. I mean, I think, you know, um, employees are happier. They're, um, you know, less financially stressed. I'm all for that, but let's get to kind of a happy medium versus, hey, I want to stay home all the time. Then lastly, I would say, you know, we're kind of big into personalities and, you know, I don't know if you're born with a certain personality or certain kind of drive. People are not all the same. And so corporations have to start trying to identify, well, what kind of person are you? Can you really be productive at home all the time? Or are you somebody that maybe does 75% because you're, you're, MO, you know, your personality or your work ethic is different than someone else's. And that's all new to the HR departments. Bruce? Yeah, I, uh, we'll leave it at that. Susie, let's, uh, let's get listeners involved, shall we? All right, let's do it. It is 651-461-9226 if you have a question or even a comment. A lot of people texting in about their reaction to that question about were you afraid in 2008. Some say they weren't. Some say they were. Another texter writes, I find the amount you have to pay for health care in retirement is very scary. I recently heard the amount is $150,000. Uh, then they say, does that even include the premium for Medicare and supplements? Um, I think that's a real fear. Like when you're done working and you, when you go on to Medicare, uh, what is the cost of health care for you? Susie, that is such a great text. In fact, Peg, I'm, I'm ashamed and embarrassed that we didn't think of that and have that proactively and had to get it as a question. The the, the health care costs after we retire, everybody listening knows they're significant, but what are they? How much is it actually? And I think everybody also understands they're going up. They're not going down. They're going up. And uh, I frequently, at public speaking events, I talk about the fact that even with the opioid epidemic, even with COVID, we are still statistically living longer than previous generations. Now, again, blessing and a curse at the same time, right? It's great that we're living longer and we have more time on this earth to pursue our passions, to spend time with our loved ones, our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, but it also means our money has to last longer. And one of those costs that we have at retirement is the cost of our health care. Peg, you want to you comment on that? That's a great text, and that absolutely probably or should absolutely should have been on our list. Yeah, I, I think it should have been. Um, one of the things that I often say on this show is because we've been doing this job for a long time, when people turn 65, they would literally be in my office and do the happy dance because 
it was, oh my, I'm freeing myself from all the costs of this health care. And in some circumstances, it's um, even they were paying for their uh, family, that kind of thing. So you turn 65 and you're doing the happy dance. Well, that was probably 20 years ago. And today, I don't see as many people doing the happy dance when they turn 65 because you're right. You've got a lot of costs out of pocket. There's two sides of this. And, of course, we talk to different clients every day. But the one that hurts the most is, you know, the Part B, where they take that money out of your Social Security based on your income. So it's as low as $170 per person, but it's as high as $656 a month per person. You know, for people who um, maybe sold a big stock position or they have a higher income. Then I also find, though, um, is that when people go have heart surgery or they have some kind of a very expensive surgery, that they come into my office and they say, well, I haven't seen a bill. And six months later, I ask them again, did you ever see a bill? Nope, I didn't have to pay anything. Then I've got the younger ones that are just going on Medicare. So they're in their early 60s, approaching 65. They were paying $700 or $1,000 a month um, just for one person for health care outside of Medicare. And that didn't cover everything. So I don't think there's just a super straight line that I can say, hey, most people are happy they're on Medicare because now I'm finding more people are saying, wow, I thought this was more of a government, you know, free thing, Bruce. Yeah, and, and Medicare, you know, the only part that is free is Part A, that's hospitalization, but the, the, the basic health insurance and Medicare covers about 80% of your, you know, of your potential costs. And for a lot of people, you're right, Peg, they should be doing the happy dance because that may be much better insurance for a smaller premium than what they had been accustomed to while they were working and before they were eligible for Medicare. But then you also have, well, what about that extra 20%? they don't want to pay out of pocket. Then there's uh, Part C, Medicare Advantage Plans, Medicare Supplement. They're optional with a private insurer. And then Part D is also optional with a private insurer. That's prescription drugs. But again, when you, the, the texture is right. Um, in, in, in the last uh, uh, speaking event or seminar that we had, we actually talked about health care costs after retirement and we got these statistics from some government department. I don't remember which one, but it's estimated, Peg, uh, Susie, and listeners, that if you retired at age 65 in 2022, that your expected total cost in health care expenses over your lifetime are going to be over $300,000. That's a huge number. Now, I don't want to scare anybody because if you break that number down, that's 300000 over a lifetime. But if you live you know, 20 years, that's $15,000 a year, which is still a lot of money, but it might be palatable as opposed to looking at that one $300,000 bill. But the same seminar that I just did this year, when I did it a couple years ago, that number was much smaller. That number's gone up. And that's the part, I don't want to say I'm scared, but that's the part that's most concerning to me as an advisor that I want to make sure that I plan for and that I help my clients plan for, that that number, whatever it is now, is going to probably keep going up. Susie? 651-461-9226. We have about three minutes left together. 
Um, this person wonders about finding affordable health insurance past 65. Is Minsure an option, and don't they offer a more affordable program? Another great question. Peg, you want to go first? Well, I, I'm a little confused because 65 is when you go on Medicare, but prior to 65, and if one of my younger people retire um, and they have a lot of cash in the bank, they saved a lot of money, they can go apply for Minsure, and that's a lower cost insurance. Uh, and is, Peg, I, is the question that is the question that is Minsure available once you've hit Medicaid Medicare age? Yeah, I, 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 I've not heard of that. I think you just, you, have, you go to Medicare, Bruce. Yeah, no, that, that's right. So MinSure, yeah. so what, I think what, what, what the texter probably meant, this gap, if you retire before 65 and you're not yet eligible for Medicare, but you, you're retired and you don't have your employer-sponsored health insurance, how do you bridge that gap? And it might be MinSure, it might be you know, other, other programs. And I got a full disclosure, we don't offer that at Wealth Enhancement Group, but we have a strategic partner that we refer our clients to that we trust and believe in, that they'll put our clients' best interests first. Where we come in as the financial advisor besides making that referral is then, are you eligible for any government credits? Part of the Affordable Care Act is if you have to pay for this private insurance out of pocket, again, based on income, you might get some assistance or some credit to help offset those premium costs. And it is based on your tax return or your income, not your assets. So, Peg, we've had clients that have a very strong financial statement, a very high net worth, but, but we can legally manipulate their, their taxable income down to a very low number. And as they're bridging that gap from their company-sponsored insurance to Medicare, that gap in between, we're not 65 yet, you might be able to find insurance very affordable, especially if you get um, uh, uh, tax credits. So, again, MinSure and, and Medicare I see as two different things. You wouldn't have both at the same time. But you might have a Part C plan, a Medicare Advantage plan, or a Medicare supplement or something like that. Susie, I'm, I'm looking at the clock. I know you're getting nervous. I know we're almost to the end of our time. Yeah, that's fine. We appreciate everybody texting, everybody uh, being a part of the show, to you two as well. And remember, if you texted a question and you didn't get your question answered, please reach out, one eight 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 six advice Or you can email your questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. That's yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. Make it a great week, Peg and Bruce. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.